So I want you to imagine that when you came in today, um, that you were met by someone out in the lobby, and they gave you an opportunity. They gave you an opportunity to make a little money while you were at church. And uh, this is what they invited you to do. They invited you to, to go to a room somewhere else on campus. And, uh, and this is the opportunity they offered you. They offered to pay you in order to consent to receiving a small electrical shock. Now this shock feels maybe about like a bee sting. You know, intense for a moment, but then it goes away. And I'm wondering, you know, just for a small sum of money, five bucks or so, how many of you would be like, hey, I'll try it. Five bucks, you know, some extra coffee money. Anyone? Think you try it? Yeah, okay, a few of you might. Uh, now, now, let's say that that person asked you, the person running this, uh, this experiment, this observation, would say, okay, now I'm going to give you more money if you let me intensify the shock a little bit more. Or if that was too intense for you, I can back it down, but we'll give you less money. So, you know, more for more intense, less for less intense. How many of you think right now, just in your heads, you'd be like, yeah, I'd go more intense. Or some of you think, I'd go less intense. Or some of you'd be like, I would be out the door shocking me. Like, no. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Now, imagine they told you that there was a stranger, a random stranger in another room, someone that you have never met, someone that you will not have to meet that day, and, and they offered you the opportunity to get paid in order to consent to shock the other person. Same sort of thing, you know, more money for a more intense shock, less money for a less intense shock. My question for you is how many of you would leave church today rich? Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, why not? Now, it's kind of a weird, weird premise, and yet the University College London did this experiment um, not too long ago. Maybe you heard about it in the news or something pretty close to it. And uh, they were doing it to detect whether altruistic behavior is something that's innate in people. And altruistic behavior is, is, can just be described as a selfless concern for the well-being of another. So they were trying to figure out, are people at their core altruistic, regardless of who they are? And here's what they discovered on the basis of their study. They discovered that most people, on average, were more likely to shock themselves for less money than they were for other people. They, they held out for way more money before they were willing to shock another person. That's, that's shocking, isn't it? Which also means maybe there's hum, uh, hope for humankind, hope for humanity after all. And the result of their study, they think, hey, you know what, maybe altruistic behavior is innate after all. Maybe we're just hardwired to have a selfless concern for other people. But here's what I can tell you. After a few years of being a pastor, altruism is anything but innate. Today we're talking about being outwardly focused and living an outwardly focused life. And I've come to discover that being outwardly focused is one of the most difficult things for us as people to do. In all of the world, there are few things that are harder than living an outwardly focused life. See, everything about us just wants to turn inward. You know what I mean? Not, not just to think too much about ourselves, but to obsess about ourselves. Either to think too much about how everyone loves us or how everyone hates us, or how the world has wronged us, or how busy we are, or how late we are when all of those idiots are in the road ahead of us, and you know, don't they know I'm late, right? We tend to live most of our lives obsessing about how we feel, how we're doing, thinking about us. In fact, some theologians have said that this tendency to turn inward, to curve inward on ourselves, that that is at the heart of what we talk about in the church as sinful nature. If you've ever heard us talk in the church about sinful nature, there's this nature that we all have. And it's not necessarily a nature just to do bad things. More than that, it's, it's a nature to turn, that turns us inward on ourselves, that keeps us obsessed with self. 
And it's this nature, this tendency that keeps us from this great gift that God wants to give us. We're theming this weekend the gift of being outwardly focused. That's what we call uh, today's message and, and theme. The gift of being outwardly focused. And I think all of us sense that, yeah, if I live an outwardly focused life, I get it. Like all the teachers we just saw, I can be a gift to other people and that's a noble thing. That's an altruistic thing to do. But I think what we don't understand is that God wants to give us a gift by breaking our obsession with self and turning us outward. It's a great gift that few of us have discovered, but I hope today you'll discover more about that. Now now to look into this today, we're going to look at a story of a guy who struggled to live outwardly focused in his life. He he really struggled to do it. And this guy happened also to be a pastor. He was actually a prophet in the Old Testament. His name was Jonah, and we're going to look at his story today. In fact, we're going to pretty much cover the whole book of Jonah. It's four chapters long, so it's not too long. Um, We're going to cover most of it here today. He was a guy who struggled to live an outwardly focused life. And here's what I hope happens. I hope that as we look at the story of Jonah today, we don't just laugh at Jonah and go, ha, 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 Jonah, you're so dumb, you're so selfish. I hope as we look at the story of Jonah, we see a lot of truth. And it's, it's kind of an unkind truth or, or a difficult truth for us to internalize about ourselves and the struggles we have to live outwardly focused. But more than that, I hope that today God begins to break our obsession with self and to help us discover the gift of being outwardly focused. So let's look at Jonah, shall we? You can look in your Bible right now, your pew Bible there that's in front of you, page 925. Uh, it's good to open the Bible sometimes. If you don't do this very often, it can help you overcome your fear of doing that or just the intimidation that you feel, page 925. You can look electronically by going to uversion.com or go to the Bible app from uversion or look right here. Jonah chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So right away you got this guy Jonah. He's a prophet. His job is to tell people about God. God appears to him, gives him a message, says, Jonah, I want you to go preach this word. I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, okay. He gets on a board and he goes to Tarshish, the opposite direction, literally. I mean, right away we're saying, okay, this, I get it. This guy struggles to be outwardly focused. He does not want to do what God wants him to do. What's even more interesting here is that Jonah's name, Jonah, son of Amittai, it actually says that. His name literally means Jonah, son of faithfulness. Jonah, son of faithfulness. Faithful to what? I mean, not faithful to what God told him to do. He goes the opposite direction. But but maybe faithfulness or or a perceived sense of faithfulness is Jonah's exact problem. See, Nineveh, the city that God was calling him to go to, Nineveh, it was the sin city of its day. It, it It was a place that was wicked. They were immoral. It was not a place that a faithful Hebrew man, let alone a faithful prophet, would want to find himself. And maybe that's the reason Jonah goes, I can't go there. I'm a faithful guy. I can't go to Nineveh of all places. And so he heads in the opposite direction. And I wonder if maybe this is where some of our resistance starts when it comes to living an outwardly focused life. That we who are Christians, we believe that to be faithful means to keep ourselves away from evildoers, away from people who do ungodly things. Away from the Ninevehs of our world. 
Out of fear that if we go to those places, that we will become defiled or God will declare us unfaithful. And, and, and maybe for some of us, that's the reason we stay away. We stay, you know, in our churches with our Christian friends. We don't engage the world outside of us because we're trying to be faithful. But I'll tell you today, if that's your concern, I, I just want to let you know something. That, that the same power that rested on Jesus Christ, the same spirit that rested on him, he is now given freely to us. And just as we see with Jesus, he was not afraid to walk into unclean situations with, with people who were kind of a mess. In fact, when he did, he brought healing, he brought, he brought light to darkness, he brought cleanliness to people who were unclean. And, and so we see Jesus do this time and time again, and that same spirit rests in you. And so to be faithful doesn't mean that you keep yourself away from all of that. It means you engage that in the power of the risen Jesus who rests in you. But see, Jonah doesn't understand the power of God's spirit yet. And so he says, go to, God says, go to Nineveh. He goes the other direction, but God's not going to let him go so easily. Maybe you know this part of the uh, Jonah narrative. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All of the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. It looks like, you know, Jonah's just trusting the Lord here, right? No, Jonah just doesn't care. He's apathetic. So these guys are panicking. These are experienced sailors. They, they start dumping their cargo, you know, all of their profit. They start dumping it into the water. Someone's got to pay for that. They start dumping it into the water. They're, they're crying out to their gods. Jonah's sleeping. So the captain goes down and he shakes him awake and says, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. I mean, we're doing it up here and nothing's happening. Maybe your God will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come on, we got to figure this out. Let's cast lots. Let's roll a dice and figure out who is responsible for this calamity. So they do this, and the lot fell on Jonah. You know, the finger points to Jonah. This is this guy's fault. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven. Who made the sea and the dry land. I mean, this is the trifecta. Heaven, the sea, the dry land. You know, you know this in mythology. Often pagan gods, they would have a god of sea. They would have a god of land. They'd have a god of the sky, right? He's saying, this is the god of heaven who made all of this stuff. This is different for them. As a result of that, they freak out a little bit. Let's look at the next verse. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done against this god? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Now the sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So Jonah sounds right here like he's being totally outwardly focused, right? Just let me die for your sake. I'm going to be this noble guy, and you can throw me overboard so that you might live. No, what Jonah is being is Jonah is being stubborn. He'd rather die than be outwardly focused, to do what God told him to do in Nineveh. And the truth is, for us sitting in this room, we are not too different. So many of us, all of us really, would rather die than be outwardly focused. Literally. I mean, just look at the American church today. If you were here with us a couple of weeks ago, I showed you some stats about the American church. 
From everyone's observation, the American church is in trouble. It may be dying. Uh, numbers of people going to church, down. Church, um, churches are closing at a, a rapid pace. Everything seems to be in decline. And yet, are we, are we changing anything? Are we trying to do things differently? No, by and large, most of the church is doing exactly the same thing week after week. Why? Because we would rather die. We would rather close our doors doing what we like to do, doing what's comfortable to us, than to turn outward. Now, in a lot of those churches, you can blame the pastors and bad leadership, and certainly in a lot of those churches, the leadership is to blame. And yet the reality is it's a problem that's bigger than just the leadership. It is, it is our problem as the church of God. Do you get this? I mean, if there are empty seats around you here today, it's not just my fault. This is our fault. This is our problem. And what we're seeing today is that American Christians are not talking about Jesus with their friends. They're not inviting them. Even to places like this where, where it's pretty safe to be here. We, we try to make this a safe place for you no matter where you are on your journey. We, we find that just American Christians have become apathetic. They don't want to be bothered. We'd rather die than be outwardly focused. I mean, just this week, um, we heard from a family who is now attending a new church. And uh, when we hear that a family is attending a new church, most of the time we don't know, but sometimes they let us know. And uh, when we do, we, we try to do follow-up so we can learn. I mean, we, we can grow. We can learn as a church. We can do things better. Uh, we want to understand what's going on with people. And uh, what we heard back from this family was, hey, we get what you're trying to do. You're, you're trying to reach new people. You're trying to, trying to reach young people. We understand that. In fact, we think that's really, really noble. It's just not for us. And I think, exactly, right. No, you've got it. It's not for you. That's not why we do all this. It's not just for you. We're trying to be an outwardly focused church. And yet, and yet that conversation is repeated dozens of times with, with good people, people like you. And maybe you're having this conversation with your spouse about, hey, I don't know if this is for us anymore. And what grieves me about that conversation, what grieves me about people who leave, is not just that people leave. I mean, that hurts my ego, but that doesn't grieve me. What hurts me, what grieves me, is that I know what they're missing out on. If you go and you leave this place and you go to a place that's more about you, because it's, you know, it's more for you, it's more about you, then not only are you contributing to the death spiral of the American church, but you are missing out on this great gift that God wants to give you of learning what it means to be outwardly focused. See, I think God is doing something exciting in this church and in churches like ours, we're a minority, but I think God's doing something exciting as we turn ourselves outward. There's this great gift that God wants to give us, and, and, and we're going to see it in a minute in Jonah. We're going to see what God does through him. But so many of us are resistant. We dig into what we like, to what, what, what suits our purposes. We would rather die than be outwardly focused. I think the same is true personally. I mean, just take it away from church for a minute. I'll tell you, I think, I think this is what's killing us. This is what's creating so much unhappiness and restlessness in our lives, for those of us who are married, in our marriages, in our families. It, the number one problem that we have is that we have nothing to live for beyond ourselves. And those of you who are in families who have kids, this includes your family. Living for your kids is not the same as living an outwardly focused life that's still kind of living for yourself. 
And see, meanwhile, we think, we think it's, oh, no, it's, it's money. I need, I need more money, or we need a bigger house, or I need more respect, or I need a better job, or, or I, you know, th- that's going to make me happy. And that stuff will not make you happy. The number one problem we have is that we have nothing to live for beyond ourselves. And your kids, eventually, they're going to become teenagers if they're not already, and they're going to start rebelling, and they're going to have, you know, all kinds of issues in life if you've made life all about them. I'm telling you, God wants to give you a gift, and that gift is to free you from your obsession with yourself. Our number one problem in life is that we have nothing to live for outside of ourselves, but the reality is we don't care. We'd rather live in depression. We'd rather live with, you know, twisted up families and marriages. We'd rather live in shrinking churches. We would rather die than be outwardly focused. It's true of Jonah, it's true of us. But, but I want you to see uh, what happens next. So um, these men did their best to row back to land. So the sailors are going, dude, we're not, we're not throwing you in, we're not killing you. And so they try to row the ship back to land. They, they're working against nature here. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And they made vows to him. They pledged themselves to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So so you're tracking along. These guys, they don't want to do it, but they have to. Jonah forces their hand. They dump him into the sea. The seas become calm. And then this great big fish comes and swallows Jonah. And Jonah lives in the belly of a fish for three days. Now I know some of you right now are going, hold on. This full-grown man is living, living in the belly of a fish for three days. Now, I know for some of you this just seems crazy. Maybe for a lot of you this seems crazy. And for some people, they, they've tried to prove this. You know, could someone live inside the belly of a fish for three days? And, and the results are inconclusive. But here, here's what I can tell you. Here's, here's what I think about this. And this is just my opinion based on my life experience, on my life journey with God. I say, with God, anything is possible. With God, anything is possible. I don't think this happens regularly. I don't know that it ever needs to happen again. I just, I just believe that with God, anything's possible. If God wants a fish to swallow a man and wants to keep that man alive here for three days, hey, I believe God can do it. Now, if that's not you today, I, I don't blame you. I know that sounds crazy, and that's just a conviction I've come to in my life. With God, anything is possible. But if that's not you, here's what I want you not to do. I want you to get so caught up on this fish thing that you tune out to the rest of this. That you just go, hey, just write it off. Because, because even if you can't buy into this fish thing, there's still an important truth here that God wants to teach you. It's bigger than about the fish. He, he wants to teach it to you. And I think you can buy into it. It's so true. It's so real that I think no matter where you are on your journey with God, you can take hold of it today if you just hang in there a little bit longer. So Jonah is in the belly of this fish. The fish eventually can't even stand Jonah. So it, it vomits Jonah out on the shore. And uh, Jonah finds himself in an interesting predicament. You know, he'd rather die than be outwardly focused. Here he is alive on the beach. Watch what happens. <laughs> then the Lord, uh, then the word of the Lord, rather, came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord this time. So, you know, the fish vomit was a little bit too much for him. And he's like, fine, I'm not going to get away from this. So he obeyed the word of the Lord. Uh, he went to Nineveh. 
Now get this, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days, in fact, just to walk through it. So Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So so you got this picture. Jonah starts walking to the city, this huge city. He's walking down the streets and here's his message. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 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 I mean, might as well just have a cardboard sign, right? And stand on the street corner and, you know, like look weird and make faces at people and say 40 more days. This is a terrible message, right? I mean, what's convincing about this? Some weird guy who smells like fish vomit walking around your city saying 40 more days and then it will be overthrown. Are you going to listen to that guy? I mean, this is a terrible message. And you've heard some bad messages in your day, right? Some of them even from me. You've heard some terrible sermons, I'm sure. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, but at least this one's short. (laughs) And I'll, I'll give Jonah that. I'll give Jonah that. But it's a terrible message. Horrible message. He's doing it. He's doing what God asked him to do. But, but he's not really doing it. He's not, he's not feeling it. And it shows us this truth that, that, man, even when we live outwardly, so often we're reluctant. You know, we may do it. We may step out, but we're like, ah, here I go to church again to serve those little snot-nosed kids down in the nursery. No one appreciates me. Why aren't their mamas down here watching these kids, right? <laughs> I mean, we, we do it reluctantly, right? I mean, I live there. I get it. And that's the case with Jonah. I mean, he's there because he's realized he can't run from God, but, but he's not really there in his heart. He's not really there in his spirit. And, and maybe he's got a good reason. I mean, maybe the problems of Nineveh, maybe they just seem too great for him. Like, you know, what can I do to change a city of Nineveh? It takes three days to walk through it. I'm just one man. How can I come against all of the craziness that's going on here? Or maybe Jonah has compassion fatigue. Who knows what God had him doing before this? Maybe he's just worn out. Or maybe it's a tough season at home and the wife and the kids need him. Or maybe it's a tough season at work and he's just, he's burnt out and he's got nothing left to give. I don't know his reason. But I know that he's doing it half-heartedly. But I want you to watch what happens even as he does this half-heartedly. You ready for this? 40 more days and then it will be overturned. 40 more days and then it will be overturned. Like he doesn't care. Just, you know, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. This is this, you know, rough garment of repentance. When God is displeased with you, the idea is don't make yourself comfortable. Make yourself uncomfortable. When, get this, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. So he's a day into the city preaching this terrible message. And the word travels through the city. The king hears about it. The king hears, oh, 40 more days and we'll be overturned? And he immediately repents. He, and he, and he you know, takes off his royal robes. He puts on this burlap stuff. He gets down in dust. And then he takes it a step further. He issues a proclamation. I mean, he does the rest of Jonah's job for him. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or even animals, I mean, not only people, but animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and animals fast and be covered with sackcloth, and let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. I don't know what this shows you. 
what this shows me is that God can use even the most half-hearted service. Do you get that? Here's Jonah just going through the motions, doing the job technically, but with no passion, no heart. And yet God uses this message. He's a day into the city. God uses this message to, to penetrate the heart of the king. The king issues this, this decree. Everyone in the city, including the animals, start fasting. I mean, they got sackcloth on their cows and the family dog and everything else. I mean, this, this is unthinkable, right? This is impossible. This doesn't happen. And that's exactly the point. That God can use even the most half-hearted service. So if you're waiting to step outside of yourself, to live outside of yourself, until you really feel it, until you're excited about it, maybe you should stop waiting. Maybe you should just do it. Step out and, and begin to live outside of yourself. And who knows what God can do with that. I mean, if God can take Jonah's message after one day of preaching and change the hearts of a whole city of people, what could God do through you if you just step out and, and begin to turn outside of yourself and to live for others? You don't have to have a master plan. You don't have to have it all figured out if you would just begin to do it, even half-heartedly. Who knows the impact that God could have if you would just step out? Not only could it change your neighborhood, or, or if we did that as a church, not only could it change our city and our world, but, but it would change you. It would change us. So, I mean, on the surface, it looks like, okay, this, this story is done. I mean, Jonah learned his lesson, right? Go be outwardly focused, and when you do, God will do amazing things, and more people will come to know God, and a, and a city full of injustice and violence, they'll turn their ways around, and it'll become a safer, better place for people to raise their kids. I mean, this is a happy ending. Jonah learned his lesson. <laughs> Not so fast. Chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Is that the response you were expecting from Jonah? What's going on here? I mean, it worked. He did his job and God accomplished the work that he was supposed to do. What does he have to be angry about? See, I think we begin to see something that's a little more sinister. It's where the story turns dark. But the problem with Jonah is that he resents God's mercy. And I think the same thing can be said of us. Sometimes our problem is that we can resent that God is a merciful God. I mean, of course we want God to be merciful to us. We love that about God. Or to be merciful to the people that we love, of course, we expect that. But to be merciful to anyone and everyone? See, maybe this is the deeper, darker thing living under the surface in your life that prevents you from being outwardly focused. Maybe there is a racism there. Maybe there is some, just some classism that's there. Maybe you've got opinions about certain people and, and you don't believe that they deserve the mercy of God. I, see, I think for most of us, it's probably simpler. It's, it's apathy. It's misplaced priorities. It's getting too caught up in things that don't matter. It's, it's a lack of faith, maybe, to believe that God can make a difference. But maybe for some of us, and, and if this is you, it's important that you just acknowledge this right now. 
that maybe you are all about a God who is merciful to you, but you can't stomach the thought of a God who can be merciful to anyone. And if that's you today, let me just caution you in something. That if you believe that we as people somehow make ourselves worthy of God's forgiveness or his compassion, you know, because we're the people who go to church and we're from good families and we try to be good people and we're respectable citizens, that somehow that makes us worthy and meanwhile other people are unworthy, you are wrong. See, God is merciful because that's who he is. It has nothing to do with who we are. You understand that? That the reason God shows mercy is not because he finds people who are worthy of showing mercy to. No, no, no. The reason God is merciful, the reason he shows mercy is because that's who he is and this is what he does. And this is so important for you to understand because I, I think there are some of you who are sitting here today and you believe that you are on the gr- beyond the grasp, beyond the grasp of God's mercy. Based on something that you've done, something that you're doing, some struggle in your life. And you think, I'm just not one of these people who's worthy of God's love, God's forgiveness, or God's mercy. I I get the rest of you people can talk about a forgiving God. You're better people than I am. Do you get it? That nothing you can do can disqualify you from God's love, his compassion, or his mercy. Because it's not about you. It's about him. This is just what he does. And so today, if, if, if you want to take hold of this mercy... The only thing you need to do is is to take hold of Jesus because Jesus is the full revelation of God. Do you get that? That if you want to know who God is and how he feels about people like you, sinners like you, sinners like me, all you have to do is look at Jesus and you'll find that that Jesus walks towards sinners. That if you were living 2,000 years ago and Jesus was in your town, he would come and he'd put his arm around you and you guys would have a talk. But he would not turn you away. You understand that? That Jesus is so outward. He's so loving. It's just so in his heart to be merciful that he gave his life willingly on a cross for you so that all of your sin and shame could could be crucified. And so that you could live again free. Free of guilt. Free of shame. Free to know God's fullness in your life. See, some of you know that. But you don't yet know. I mean, you believe that and you've, you've taken that as, 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 uh, as truth for yourself. But here's what you need to do next. You need to stop pretending that some of us are more worthy than others. I remember when we first started talking about doing work in Cambodia. And if you don't know about our work in Cambodia, God's doing amazing things through this local church to change the country. But I remember um, it, was, it was five years ago we started talking about Cambodia. And I remember there were people in the church who said, why are we going there? I was in the jungles in Cambodia. Why would we go there to help those people? And you know what? I get it. I get it. I get it. If that was you, I get it. And yet we have to get the heart of God, that the heart of God just sees people and he wants to show them mercy. That's what he does. Jonah didn't get that. Jonah didn't get that at all. He's looking at the city of people and he goes, these people are not worthy. And, and I love the way that God responds to Jonah because God responds to Jonah so much differently than I would respond to Jonah. If I were God in this moment, I would send Jonah a lightning bolt, you know, right at the top of his head, more than a shock. Um, I'd just be like, but look at how God answers him. He says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Now Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter. 
He sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Of course he was, right? It's making him more comfortable, so he loves it. But watch this. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. Jonah needs to see a professional counselor, in case you're wondering. This this guy has got a death wish and he needs help, but um, that's not the point of the story. Um, He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. Now hold on here for a second. But do you see what's still going on with Jonah? You know, God, if you want to grow up a leafy plant and you want to give me comfort while I'm sitting out here, I'm all for that, God. If you want to show compassion to me, if you want to make my life easier, then, then I'm all for that, God. But, but the moment you make my life harder, the moment you take something from me, the moment you make me uncomfortable in order to serve someone else, God, I am out. I am angry. This is not fair. I'd rather die than have to live this existence. If you're honest with yourself, you've been there. We live there, right? But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant? Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? And the book ends. Right there with that question. It's kind of a weird ending, isn't it? Not so happy. It would have been better if it ended the chapter before. See, I think that's an important question that God wants to put to each and every one of us. What are you willing to endure? What are you willing to suffer? What kind of discomfort are you willing to tolerate in order that other people might live? I've already told you what God's heart is. God's heart is to be merciful and compassionate to everyone. Not just to Christians. Not just to Christians of a certain brand or denomination. Not just to people who are are moral people who mostly have their lives together. They just don't know God. God wants to show mercy and compassion to everyone. The question for us today is will we die to ourselves, to our preferences, to the things that make us comfortable. You know, whether, whether we're talking about the music that we like in the church or, or the way we like things done, are we willing to let that stuff go? Are we willing to die to ourselves personally and the, personally and the lifestyles that we've built for ourselves that, that, that are working pretty well, they're keeping us comfortable, but ultimately they're not fulfilling? Are we willing to let those things go so, so that a people who don't know their right hand from their left, who just simply just are, are, are lost and confused about what really makes life worth living and what is true and what is good, Are we willing to make ourselves uncomfortable so that they might come to know God? Church, if this is your church, I mean, we've got a lot of visitors here today. If this is your church, if this is where you called home, church, are we willing to be different than all the other churches in America and and, and someone like Jonah? I hope we are. 
because here's what we're missing. Again, here's what we're missing. Not only is this something that God calls us to do, not only is this his heart for us, but, but in turning outward, God wants to give you an incredible gift. He wants to free us from an obsession with ourselves, but, but not only that, he wants to help us see real life change happen in the world around us. He wants to help us watch people come from death into life. But he also wants to do something in us while that happens. You know, I, I've been on a bunch of mission trips in my life. And uh, I, I know a lot of people have been on mission trips. And you know what's the same about every person who's gone on a mission trip, no matter where they go? They come home with the same story. Here's what they say. I went because I wanted to give to people. I wanted to serve people. But I came back realizing that those people served me more than I served them. I got more out of it than I gave. And some people feel weird about that, like, oh, well, maybe I didn't do it. No, 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 that's exactly right. That's exactly how God intends this. That's the gift of being outwardly focused. When you step out, when you turn outward, when you live for someone else outside of yourself or a cause outside of yourself, God has a way of giving you so much more than you give. You hear me? God has a way of, of giving back to you so much more than you pour out. And that's the gift that God wants to give you today, the gift that will change your life, the gift that will change this church, the gift that will change our world. Now, if you're sitting here today and you're going, okay, okay, but, but how do I do this? What, what does this look like? Just let me show you this really quickly, and you're going to want to take a note on this. Uh, we talk about 1-1-15-6, four things you should know, because we believe these four behaviors, these four disciplines will transform your journey. Uh, if you do these things regularly, you will, you will move on your journey closer to God and his wholeness. One of the things that I want to highlight today is this last one, six. Live the six other days serving God by serving others. I know it's kind of small up here, but could you read that with me? Live the six other days serving God by serving others. When we talk about living the six, I want to break this down to you in four things that you can do to begin to live the six. Um, the first thing is go beyond one day. See, it all starts when you stop seeing your relationship with God and your service to God as what you do here at church. When you go beyond Sunday and you think about Monday and, and Tuesday and Wednesday and you begin to see every minute of every day as an opportunity for you to live as Christ's representative in this world. To serve people, to love people, to meet the needs of people around you, to live an outward life. It all starts with just saying, hey, it's every day, it's not just Sundays. The next thing, you see it, you own it. You know when you're looking around the world and you see something that's not right, an injustice uh, you see something that, that, that disturbs you, something that disgusts you, something that's just not, not good in the world. If you, if you see it, the second step is you begin to own it. You don't say, well, gosh, I hope somebody does something about that. Or, or, hey, pastor, we should do something about that, which I know as a pastor means, pastor, you should do something about that, right? No, what you do is when you see it, you, you say, God allowed me to see this, and so I've got to own this. And that doesn't mean that it's all on you, but, but here's what it means at least, at very least, is that you begin praying and saying, God, I saw this. I don't like what I'm seeing. There is brokenness. There is hurt. There is a person whose life is a mess. There, there's a situation. There's an injustice. God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm owning this right now. I want to own this. Show me what my next step will be. Starts there. Next, find common ground. I think it's really important that we don't try to live an outwardly focused life from an ivory tower. Right? You know, like, putting on rubber gloves and tongs to, to deal with the things out in the world. No, 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 that's not how Jesus did it, was it? I mean, Jesus literally came in flesh, and he walked among the people that he was coming to rescue and serve. And the same is true with us. 
to, to know people, to love people, to walk with people, to eat with the people that we're serving. We've got to find common ground. That's God's way. That has to be our way. And so if, if part of this may just be beginning to cross those divides of people that, that you don't have a lot of connection with and, and going to a house you never go to or uh, sitting down with someone you never sit down with and, and just begin to find that common ground. And then last, press into the mess. Press into the mess. There'll be times as you start living an outwardly focused life where you think, I am in too deep. I have gone too far. Maybe I should back up. But God instead would call you to keep pressing in, to go out further, to go deeper. Because remember, the power of the risen Christ, the same power that death could not hold, the same power that made lepers cleanse, the same power that brought light to darkness, the same power that released sinful people from a life of sin and, and uh, the, the, just the, the, the chains of sin. That power is operative in us as God's people who bear his spirit. See, I, I hope today can be a new beginning for you. A turning away from yourself toward others. Because if you do, not only can God use you and use us to make a huge splash in the world around us, but if you do this, God will give you this incredible gift of living life the way he created you to live it. Not focusing on you, but turning outward. Let me pray for that right now. Father.